You're listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council, where we aim to support healthcare innovation by disseminating knowledge of expert leaders at the Royal Society of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Marla Morkin. Welcome back to another episode. And in this Christmas bonus episode, we speak with Dr. Tim Ringrose, a doctor and president of the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Section Council. Tim has over 20 years experience of driving innovation in healthcare. He helped to build doctors.net.uk, the UK's leading online doctor community, and co-founded Cognizin Group in 2018. He is a mentor for the NHS Clinical Entrepreneur Programme and serves as a non-executive director and advisor for several health technology companies. In the episode, we discuss the importance of community building in healthcare. We specifically cover how Tim got involved with the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Council and how he has built communities of industry, clinicians and patients in his work. We also touch on what is coming for healthcare in 2022 and beyond, including events at the RSM and his thoughts on the metaverse. All views expressed in this episode are of the speakers themselves. Enjoy! So much to talk about today, Tim. I I actually have to admit that when... I mean, we've known each other for years and you helped set up this very podcast that you're speaking on today, which is really exciting. Um, but when I have known you for many years, I haven't really looked you up as much as I have done before this podcast episode. And when you dig really into your background and how you've navigated digital health, it's absolutely no wonder that you're president of the digital health section. Your experience speaks for itself entirely. And you have clearly seen the the growth of the industry, but also being the person responsible for the community driving that growth as well from the different projects that you've set up. Now, I can't do it justice. You're going to have to tell all the listeners about a bit about your background and journey, um, especially to please don't leave out any of the juicy bits. So tell us about you. <laughs> okay, right. Well, I'll try to keep it short and just focus on the more interesting bits. Um, I, I, I trained in medicine and uh, was uh, a, had an ST training post in Oxford. I was training in nephrology and general medicine. And, you know, I thought that my best career was to become a consultant as quickly as possible and try to get a job in a prestigious place. And um, I kind of became slightly disabused from that mission mm-hmm. um, for a couple of reasons. The negative one was that I really felt exasperated and frustrated training in the NHS, seeing things that were going on around me that I didn't think were really in the best interest of patients. And the worst part about it was not being able to do anything about it. And, you know, sadly, I could see that happening at the time with colleagues, and I still see it happening. You just have to learn to shrug your shoulders and and do the best you can in an imperfect situation. and so I, that's that's the negative thing of how I felt, and you know I felt quite stressed by it. But the positive thing was a friend of mine, Neil Bacon, started Doctors Net UK, which hopefully most people have heard about, uh, way back in 1998. And um, he's a friend of mine, and I basically conned him into letting me come and work with him for a bit. Um, <laughs> and I genuinely thought it would just be for a few months, and then I'd go back to my clinical training. Um, but those few months turned into nearly a decade um, because I basically got sucked in. Um, it was the, the first dot-com boom. 
it was really exciting. Um, I mean, if, if we're honest, and Neil and I are both very honest people, we had no clue what we were doing. Um, but <laughs> Neil, Neil's vision was, look, the internet's here. Um, wouldn't it be great if we can give every doctor a free email address and create a website and allow doctors to share information and learn things from each other, create a community? Uh, and that just took off because, you know, I don't know a single doctor who, who didn't see the benefit of that. Um, particularly as it was free. Uh, we had lots of um, disasters and struggles along the way, which I can talk, tell you about if you like. Um, but the real challenge was how to make it viable as a commercial business, because, mm-hmm. it, you know, in, in the early 2000s, we had hundreds of thousands of doctors using it. We had really high levels of activity, but... Yeah, if I can, just for the listeners that perhaps are a bit over, uh, you know, maybe not into the network of this, to put it into perspective for you, you will not find doctors with LinkedIn profiles that, you know, you will find them on this community with this email address. That's where they are. I mean, this is how big this is and was. I mean, this is the place where doctors go. So, I mean, really, it is a, a, a small thing that you're talking about here. Well, thanks. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it, that a lot of, a lot of doctors still don't use LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're a very collegiate group aren't we and we, we 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 like to spend time with each other I think because we've got so much shared experience and, and we you know we we can talk a language that we all understand and we can help each other and support each other so the concept of being able to have that space online really struck home and resonated with people and you know what was what was great to see was that the online forum at Dobson.net UK became you know a real buzzing place where people would share you know clinical conundrums share frustrations have events share jokes talk about holidays talk about hobbies it just became the virtual doctor's mess and they did it with using their real names right which is something that you do not get anymore when we're community building it's true isn't it yeah and um, that level of transparency, I think, was very important um, because, as we've seen with social media in more recent times, anonymity can be a good thing and at times if you want to perhaps you know, raise a complaint or do some whistleblowing. Um, <laughs> but it also has lots of negatives. And unfortunately, uh, people can sometimes behave very badly if they think they've got that cloak of anonymity. And doctors, mm-hmm. I'm afraid, are just the same as everybody else when it comes to those sorts of behaviors exactly well okay so fast forward so so you've you've built this huge community then what kind of pushes you a bit into the the, the, you know a bit more into the tech space now how does that happen well over the years I I got involved in a couple of other companies some in the UK some in abroad um and Dr.net UK finally became commercially viable became profitable and was bought by an international company, M3, listed on the Japanese Stock Exchange. So it was, you know, nice to see that it, it, it was going to have a sustained presence and had a home, and it's now part of a global network. Um, but then I increasingly felt that the, the part of the journey that I really, really found most rewarding and engaging and exciting was the early stages. And I... And I also felt that having spent so much time focusing on using technology to improve the lives of doctors and to help them to practice effectively and look after themselves, 
that it was time to turn to patients and to see how can we use technology to provide better inf information for patients. And the things that we were very aware of when we set up the new company, Cognizant Group, was that you know the internet's fantastic because so much information is available to us you know using our phones using laptops whatever but there's so much crap information and misinformation mm -hmm. causes so much problem and you know you only have to look at the pandemic to see how misinformation is so dangerous it's, it's not just unhelpful it is killing people you know as biden said not so long ago i I thought we were going to get here. I did think we were going to get here this quickly, but I'm really excited because really the crux of everything that you've achieved and are doing is all about sharing, right? And that's really at the heart of it through the community building, through the information that you're, that you're sharing through the patients um, that you're helping with your company. You know, this is all about kind of the, the, the giving nature, which really does shine through with the RSM, so why did you get involved with the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Council? Was that something that just felt like a natural, was it an accident? Was it something that someone had introduced you to? How did that happen? Well, it's, I suppose in a way it was a bit of an accident because I, I went to some RSM events, in particular, the sort of annual innovation event, and I just thought it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the best conference I'd been to for many years. And it was it was such an, an interesting spectrum of clinical innovation, technology innovation. I just thought this is great. I'd like to be part of this. What, what was it? What was it? What made it so interesting? Well, I think I suppose I'd, I've over the years, I've been to many conferences that are primarily led by industry. Mm -hmm. And they would talk about digital and they would talk about innovation. They talk about, you know, improving outcomes and all that sort of stuff but but what I found was that you go to these conferences and each year it was pretty much the same people saying pretty much the same thing mm -hmm. uh, and, and, the, and the difference with the RSM is that you would get such an eclectic mix of people you get academics you get clinicians you'd get patients you'd get industry um, and it was just a really interesting um, spectrum um, and, and really the uh, it, it was just eye-opening you know I learned about genomics and I learned about you know, things that I hadn't really thought much about, like AI, and it just just really, I found it stimulating, and, and I just wanted more of it. Okay, so let's let's have a look at this. So you've got, you've exited a company, you're now founding another company, which is doing so well for anyone that follows you, knows that it's, it's doing incredibly, and you're really being picked up by loads of things. You're the president of the digital health section, there is something bubbling here, Tim. We've got to know, like, where are, where are we taking the direction of the council? What can we think about what's to come in 2022? Can you give us some hints? Because I can I can feel it. We can all feel it in the air. You've got to tell us. <laughs> well, interestingly, the um, section used to be called the telemedicine section, and we changed it to digital health a couple of years ago. Digital <laughs> health has just exploded, hasn't it? And, mm -hmm. you know, we all know that, digital technology is not just a sort of sideshow it's it's got to become mainstream you know the only way that our health services whether you're thinking about the UK or or, or abroad can continue to serve the, the growing needs of the population is to embrace digital digital technology um, mm -hmm. there is just no other way you know we haven't got enough staff we haven't got enough doctors nurses we haven't got enough hospitals 
to cope with it. And, uh, you know, it's exasperating uh, for clinicians. And, you know, we can see the pressure, particularly over the last two years, that clinicians are under. And I, and I really believe that digital technology is an essential part of the solution. You know, we still need to do some of the traditional things. The medical consultation is the bedrock of medicine, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, but I think we can make those all a lot more efficient. And, you know, if you think about it, medical consultations are great um, and they're extremely valuable, but in some ways they are incredibly inefficient and they're particularly mm -hmm. inefficient as a way to communicate information to patients. Uh, even if there's time, so time is a big issue, even if there's time for, for someone to get a full explanation of what's going on, what treatment's planned, what the diagnosis is, all that sort of stuff, which doesn't happen, I'm afraid, because of shortage of time, particularly in primary care. Studies show that most people forget most of what they've told, been told in the consultation as soon as they walk out the door. Oh it's my gosh, typically isn't that about scary? Let's, yeah. just, let's take a moment on that. Most patients forget what has been said in a consultation the moment they walk out of a, out of the door, that's wow. Yeah. So you know, if, if you were thinking about an information transmission process in anywhere else in the world, you'd say that's a problem. We've got to fix that. Mm -hmm. That's so inefficient. But yet, that's just the way things are. So I think there's tremendous potential to to change that. And you know, you know, if you look at the long term plan for the NHS, it's all about empowering patients to manage their condition more effectively and to, and to use healthcare services more effectively. Uh, so we've got to, first of all, think about how do we educate and inform patients effectively to, to know what's going on and, and what they can do to help themselves. What I feel like here, Tim, is that you build a community everywhere you go, right? Like a following, but not that crazy. But what you've got is you've got... Um, your community of doctors that you built with the digital health section you've got a community of digital health thought leaders that you're building and have been a part of and then with the work that you're doing at Cognitive Group you're you've got a community of patients now who are engaged and informed I mean this is a tr tremendous amount of power that you've got here you know you know with all these networks but Talk to me about some of the, let, let's look at like particularly the digital health section for a second. And then I'd love to hear more about Cognizant after, but let's let's have a look particularly at the digital health thought leaders. Now you've got the kind of the opportunity here to really shape what insights we gain. And I know in your, one of the things that you're really looking to do is broaden this internationally. And uh, we've got a lot of international listeners of this podcast. I'd love to hear where you kind of, can see now how we can start at the RSM forming these relationships abroad and on kind of what your thoughts are for how 2022 is going to look. Mm. Well, one of the byproducts of the pandemic has been that we've moved events from face-to-face -face at the Impulse Street into the online. Mm -hmm. And that has had a, some positive effects. And one of them is that anyone from anywhere around the world can join the events. So we've changed dramatically from being a quite London-centric, certainly UK-centric event organisation to being an online, international, multi-professional provider of information and education, because the Royal Society of Medicine's primar primary role is about education. Um, and so that's really exciting. And we've had, you know, hundreds of people turning up for, for, for webinars. And, you know, we've got 
the kernel to, to grow and to extend that reach and extend the topics. Um, but one of the things, I mean, I think it's in, in a way it's analogous to the medical consultation. If you think about conferences, they're also quite inefficient because mm-hmm. you put on an event, you get some amazing speakers. And if you're privileged to go along, you get a huge amount of value. But as soon as the event's finished, generally all that doesn't go to waste, but it just disappears. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, what we've been thinking about as a council is how can we take all that expertise and energy and enthusiasm and create something that has longevity so that we can like create the podcast things, like the podcast exactly that's mm-hmm. such a good example um and so we're looking and we're working with the um executive team at the Royal Society of Medicine to see rather than just putting on online events that start and then finish can we create online resources that are available over quite a period of time so that people can listen asynchronously um, and how can we attach as much educational value to that as possible? You know, for instance, a lot of the events are CPD accredited. And how can we, coming back to the, the word you mentioned, community, how can we really make it a community so that people aren't just sitting, watching something and learning a few things, but they're actually able to interact with the speakers, interact with the, the audience, and, and that that isn't just at the time of an event, but it's a ongoing experience so that we create communities of practice communities of enthusiasts for digital health that longevity and information is so interesting I really really like that I think that's I mean it's one of the reasons that we set up this podcast isn't it but really truly I think that's I think that's brilliant I can't have you on this podcast without asking you (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna murder me for this but I need to ask you about what your thoughts are about all this metaverse stuff that's come out I mean, it's, it'd be crazy you're working so into this space about what the future of healthcare and immersive um, technologies is going to look like, but specifically within healthcare. I mean, did that announcement come as a shock to you about Facebook's move to Meta and kind of how have you been seeing the industry evolve since it all kind of blew out, <laughs> blew off even? <laughs> well, yeah, good topic. I wasn't surprised because, of course, <laughs> Facebook bought Oculus. Um But I was disappointed um, in the attitude. It's a sort of very, you know, it's almost a colonialist attitude from Facebook about we're going to conquer the world with the metaverse. Interesting. Um, But I do really see, I'm a a true convert to virtual reality and augmented reality and the power that it can have. Um, But I think, you know, what I've already seen is that organisations, particularly in the NHS, who were planning to use devices like Oculus Quest to deliver VR training for, say, VR training for their staff, are starting to think we're not too keen on this anymore because we've got to force everyone to have a Facebook account to use these devices. Um, so there's a real tension wow. going on at the moment. And, you know, I, I'm sure everybody's seen Mark Zuckerberg getting quite a lot of kickback and a lot of people uh, taking the mickey out of him. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the end result is going to be good in that I do really see the power of uh, whatever you want to call it, but virtuality and virtual worlds and virtual spaces. Um, but what we must do, um, and I guess if you think back to Tim Berners-Lee and the way his vision of setting up the internet, we've got to make sure that it's not owned by anyone, that it's mm-hmm. free, free, for, free, free for everyone to use and, not, and free of political bias and free of commercial ownership. Um, but that's, that's tough to do, isn't it? 
Um, so I think, you know, we've, we've got to, as a medical profession, think about how do we make sure that we use it for good and that we enable it to be used to improve the efficiency, improve people's understanding of the health and treatment, uh, and not let it get taken over by you know, commercial or political forces that are going to take away the, the value and in, introduce more sinister aspects. And, it, you know, I suppose it comes back similarly to discussions about social media at the moment. That's so much to the to the to people's mind in people's minds at the moment, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I was just taking part in a rare disease conference and, you know, on balance, the groups there felt that social media did more good than harm but it's a pretty close balance. You know, there's a lot of harm that's going on. A hundred percent. And I mean, that's kind of, you're seeing it, right? We all this community work and I keep saying it, but you know, the information sharing, the sharing, the community, everything that you do is all about that human to human interactions. And that's kind of really why that metaverse and the AR and VR is the logical next step, because I see healthcare you know, if we look at the way that the internet has progressed, you've gone from text based to, to photo to, to video. I still remember when like Facebook had videos on their on the timeline for the first time when we were all going crazy. And then and then now it's moving a bit more into even more immersive. And with healthcare, we're still we're still getting to text. Mm. You know, we haven't even put into text format everything that's happening. And so we're so far behind, but we need to be getting there further. I mean, it, it just still baffles me that we don't have medical imagery of the majority of the you know population and the rare diseases and the cases and different genders and ethnicities. You know, we don't have the videos of, of living with diseases and like all of these things. And then kind of as you guys are taking it through at Cognitons about like how we can share that information. We're going to really see it, aren't we? That whole progress as we develop that. Can you tell me a bit more as to what next year is going to look like in Cognizant? Well, I mean, it's a simple proposition really is, is how can we provide health information that's accessible for people and personalized mm-hmm. and easy for people to understand. You know, some of the research that we looked at when we set the company up, um, you know, the, the, a great study in the British Journal of General Practice showed that if you look at the typical health information leaflet that's available right now and look at the average literacy level in the general population, and it, it's certainly in the UK, but it's very similar in Europe and the rest of the world, some places worse, there's a huge mismatch and that up to 60% of the population, you couldn't expect to understand a typical health information leaflet. And it's not there, it's not the person's fault, it's because mm-hmm. we're producing information in text that's full of jargon Mm -hmm. Um, and you know if you think about you know medical school was a lot about building a barrier between us and patients it was teaching us a lingo and jargon that would allow us to to be one step away from patients which you know I, I think is wrong and we've got to bridge that gap and and I think the role of the doctor's got to change um, you know, we, we do look, uh, you know, and other healthcare professionals, and we've got to stop thinking that medical profession professionals have all the answers all the time, because we don't. And medical professionals really need to be health navigators for patients. Yes. Helping I think someone once way. said it. Oh, sorry. I think someone once said it's like the Apple store, people in the Apple store that kind of help you. That's what you want, right? You want everything to be there for the patient and just someone kind of just helping them to get the product that they want and the service they need. 
Yeah, exactly. Because you've you got to understand what the, the, you know, the patient's background and their understanding and their perspective and their, you know, religious beliefs and their culture will mean that really no two patients are the same. And yet we practice, practice medicine thinking about the disease rather than the, the person. Oh, I can feel another podcast coming on about what the role of the doctor in the future is going to be like, but I can't, I can't do that today. But let, topic. T- tell me, um, let, let's wrap this up. Tell me um, what we, what you're looking for in the future of digital health. If there's anything else you want to add to today's discussion um, at all at the moment, Tim, or anything you want to leave the listeners with? Well, I'd just like to do a plug, if I may, um, <laughs> for the first event of 2022 at the at the RSM's digital health section we've got a really exciting event happening on the 11th and 12th of January um, it was going to be partly face-to-face but it, I think it's now going to be totally online because of Omicron um, but it's a really exciting topic we're, we're running a joint conference between the UK and China it's done it's being organized jointly by the Royal Society of Medicine and the Foreign and Commonwealth Development Office and the British Embassy in Beijing. So we have great speakers from academia, technology, uh, and industry uh, from both sides, from China and from UK, talking about digital health, what how, how digital health has really come to the fore to support the services as we've had to deal with COVID, and what does the future look like? And how, how's digital health going to transform the way we, we deliver better care for patients? So, it's, and the, the best news about it is it's free. It's free. Oh my gosh. Well, everyone should be coming then. I mean, didn't we say before, this is probably the first ever we think digital health collaboration um, in, in an event format between the UK and China, which is, I mean, maybe some of the listeners might know something else that's happened, but as far as we're aware, which is so phenomenal that you've managed to achieve. And, it, and it's not just you, but it's a team of people, of course, that's, that's doing this. But just, yes, anyone that's listening, you must come down. This is going to be, oh, well, must come online. This is going to be phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got to uh, give the praise to, to Ruby, who's um, in Beijing, and she's she's really been the instigator of this and and been making this happen so yeah as you say it's a it's a group effort team effort and you know we're really delighted to to put it on and we've got some really exciting speakers including tim Spector from the zoe app uh, and tim ferris of the, from the nhs and, and other speakers coming along um, so yeah it's going to be really great events so i'd encourage everyone if they can it's it's at nine o'clock in the morning just for two hours on the night on the 12th and so 11th and the 12th uh, and the reason that's in the morning, of course, is the time difference. So that's <laughs> so we're not going to have speakers from both sides, but we're going to have an audience from both sides. So there's all sorts of complexities. We've got to do translations and things like that. But it's going to be, you know, great fun. One of a kind, 100 percent. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on to the podcast. I'm- Thanks, Marla. It's been an absolute pleasure and cannot wait for the January events to kick off. Me too. See you later. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening to this interview with Tim and this another episode of the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series. We'll be back in 2022 for some more episodes and events and we hope to welcome you onto some of our online events at the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Section Council. 
For more information on some of the upcoming events, like the one that Tim mentioned in the episode today, just head down to the Raw Side of Medicine's website. Bye for now.